Welcome to Female Founder Fridays, and today I'm delighted to be interviewing Rena Maycock, the CEO and founder of Kilter. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Okay, so let's start where we always start these conversations. Tell us all about Kilter. Uh, okay, so we're an early stage tech startup developing child protection software for Android smartphones. So uh, we're in the early stages of developing this product that will come as a factory fit for Android smartphones. The first version analyzes all content that comes into and goes out of the device and compares it against a locally held database and it can scan and detect and block cyberbullying content, grooming content and suicide and self-harm. So in a practical way just to articulate what that does is if your child is being bullied by a girl at school and a bullying message comes in through WhatsApp or Messenger, that message gets brought into the operating system, scanned for cyberbullying if it fails our test, it doesn't get shown on the screen. We hold it in a file and then an alert is sent to the parent. If your child tries to send out a nude picture of themselves, the picture won't leave the device. Or if someone tries to send in a nude picture of themselves, your child won't see that picture, we'll hold that in a file on the device. And then conversely, if your child goes to send out a bullying message, it won't leave the phone. Or if your child goes into a browser and starts to try and search for ways to harm themselves or kill themselves, you'll get an alert that there's an imminent threat to your child to your parent app on your phone. So effectively what the software will do is it allows the child to have reasonably unfettered access to their smartphone and the parent can feel confident that if there is an imminent threat to the child, they'll be notified that there's imminent harm. Yeah, my blood pressure always rises when we talk <laughs> and you describe yeah. it, but this is the world we live in yeah. and we need tools like this. And one of the things that you've said to me many times before, which I think is important for us to talk about here, is that this is not an app. This is not something you download onto your phone or that can be managed through the iTunes store yeah. or what the Apple store or whatever it is. Yeah. So, so it's deep tech that you're developing here and it's, it's not... It's not on the market yet, correct? No, and there is literally nothing like it on the market. People ask us all the time, who are your competitors? And in truth, and it sounds a very arrogant thing to say, but we don't actually have any competitors. There are alternatives for parents, and they're all downloadable apps. So parental control apps, like the likes of NetNanny or whatever, they're downloadable apps that you can go to Google Play, there's 245, there's 218 on the, the Apple Store. If you download that app, it operates on a peer-to-peer -peer system. So without getting too technical, apps operate on a peer-to-peer -peer system, meaning they can't access data that comes in through other apps. So therefore, they are limited to spying tools. So the most effective alternatives on the market to our product would probably be screen recorders. So you have to get home every evening and take your child's device away from them and then go in and effectively just press play. And you have to monitor all of the activity live on that device. Now, your child may have been on that device for three to four hours during the day on and off, and you've got to look through all of this activity. You as a parent, when you get home in the evening, you've cooked the dinner, you've put your child to bed, you don't have three to four hours in real time to scan all, all their material. So you'll get the guilt and feel, I'm gonna miss something if I don't do all this. But they really are the only alternatives. They're just spying tools. So all of the other apps, what they will do is they'll focus on a few main features. They all share these features. So there's geo-tracking and geo-fencing, uh, so you can tell where your child is. There are wholesale URL blocking, so they won't allow, for instance, porn websites to be uploaded onto the phone. And um, those types of features are common to parental control apps. 
What ours does is something completely different. Yeah. It analyzes all of the data that comes into the phone. Now, if we were an app, we wouldn't have permissions to do that. So ours is a software modification to the Android operating system. So it's a, and we have locally held uh, databases, so we've got quite a bit of domain expertise there as well. So we have access to all of that data. We have full permission to look at all the data that comes in and scan it for offensive content and remove okay. it. So Rena, obviously you qualify for this role because you're a parent, yeah. but what else in your background, in your personality, in your academic background, what, what, what else has brought you to here to being the founder of a deep tech company run out of Dublin? Well, I kind of feel a little bit like a fish out of water. I'm not a technologist by any stretch. Uh, you know, my history is in media. I started uh, my career in one of Dennis O'Brien's companies and then moved up. I held a variety of sales and management and directorship roles until eventually I was uh, chief executive of a group of radio stations and then went out on our own and set up uh, our own company. So we've got two other companies. One is an, a matchmaking company and one is an online dating site and it's a bit of a, a leap towards a child <laughs> protection software, I'll admit. Um, I guess I have an entrepreneurial spirit. I've set up my own businesses and they're, they're successful before. But ultimately, and I've, I've explained this to you before, really this was an organic process for me. When I was pregnant with my son, I kept seeing the image of Alan Kurdi, the five-year-old Syrian boy wash up on the beach in Greece. And I was extremely emotional, very hormonal, and I kept getting very upset by this image that kept getting served to me on social media. So I went into Facebook and Twitter to see if there were any filters there that I could get rid of this this imagery because I just couldn't handle seeing it and I couldn't find any filters so then I took to the app store to see if I could find an app filter couldn't find one had a number of conversations with people and they all said no I don't know of any of these filters but if you find one let me know because I'm always being exposed to this these stories that I just don't want to be exposed to so throughout the course of those conversations it just became a natural segue towards parental control you know whatever filter I was talking about would be a really effective solution for a parental control so obviously, you know, when my son came along, I started to think about all of the dangers down the track that he would be facing. I became acutely aware of all the stories hitting the headlines of, you know, children being cyber bullied, children taking their own lives, being coerced into sending nude imagery, then being blackmailed, and then all these suicide games online yeah. like Blue Whale and Momo. And I thought to myself, how am I going to protect my child when it gets to a point where they're asking for a phone? So I've got two children now, and ultimately, yes, my motivation is obviously it's going to be a commercial company, we're going to want to make money, but ultimately we really want this product to be on every single device so that parents can know that they don't have to spy on their child because most parents do have an ethical problem with spying on their child because children need to have some secrets as a part of gaining autonomy and independence in their lives and we all were there at one point um, but they also want to know that if there is an imminent threat to their child that they'll be notified yeah. and people are parents are afraid of phones they are just afraid. 25% of six-year-olds have their own smartphone. 68% mm. of eight to 13-year-olds have their own smartphone. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. What, and, and, and those numbers have just accelerated over time, right? So the way you describe it, which I love, is there's a really raw passion there mm. for what you're doing and why you're doing it. But you're also one of these kind of born entrepreneurs who has a fire in your belly <laughs> and it's going in one direction or another. No matter yes. no matter what's going on, there's always curiosity, opportunities to build companies. This is your third company that you're building. So um, what is it about the entrepreneurial mindset 
Is it just, is it just more fun? Um, my husband gives out to me all the time. He says, you need a hobby. <laughs> you, you need, he bought me an easel. I used to paint when I was in school. I was reasonably good at art. And he bought me an easel and a bunch of oil paints one, one year. And I have never taken it out of the wrapper. And he's, he goes to the gym. You know, he's, he's got all these other hobbies. And he's like, you need a hobby. You need a release. You need to get, you know, get out of your head. Just you know, enjoy yourself. And I'm like, I love business. I just mm -hmm. love it. Mm -hmm. And there's no other way of describing it. Yeah. I wake up thinking about it. I go to sleep thinking about it. <laughs> How can I solve this problem? How can I get over this hurdle? How can I make this a success? How can I, how can I fulfill my ambitions? Mm -hmm. And I think most entrepreneurs are quite similar to mm -hmm. that. They, yeah. it, they just love it. If you don't love it, it's a nuisance. Mm -hmm. You know, you're constantly looking for ways to switch off. I don't do that. Mm -hmm. If I try to switch off, like, you know, I listen to meditation tapes to, <laughs> to, get my, to empty my brain a bit so that I can actually <laughs> sleep. But, you know, ultimately, I think most entrepreneurs are exactly the same. They live and breathe it, and I'm, not, I'm just no different. Completely, mm -hmm. completely. And being an entrepreneur and a female entrepreneur in Dublin, I mean, going back to our 100 million mm -hmm. campaign where we're trying to track... 100 million in funding for female yeah. founders this year. We're also trying to track 400 female founders building product companies mm. like yours in Ireland. We're at about 350 right now. Yeah. What do you think about the environment here? I mean, you're fundraising at the moment, yeah. Rena, right? Yeah. So, What's the reality on the ground like for you? Yeah, so I mean, the unfortunate thing is I think we missed uh, our company Kilter, missed the crest of the wave on seed investment. There's no appetite in Ireland that we can see for a pre-seed or seed investment. And we're at the very early stages. And there seems to be a little bit of a, a disconnect between VCs and where we are. You know, VCs are interested in Series A, Series B. They want post-revenue. There's very little in the way of funding for high risk. And I admit that we are high risk. There is very little appetite but for But everybody's high risk in early stages. Yeah, I mean, but there's a huge swing towards you've got to have MVP and you've got to have validation. You've got to be in the hand of the consumer. And the type of technology that we're developing, we cannot get to market without a substantial, reasonably substantial investment. It would be irresponsible of us to put our MVP out there into the market because it would not be what it needs to be to protect children. So we're pushing against that kind of urge to put something that's an, a, not, not substantial enough out into the market just to fulfill and tick that box. Mm -hmm. But ultimately we're finding that in Ireland we're having to go abroad, we're starting to develop relationships with UK, US, Chinese, Japanese investors because there just isn't that appetite here. And you know, I look around and I envy people that are post-revenue because they really do have the pick. You can choose your terms, every VC wants a, a piece of Series A, but it is a big problem and that's what we're being told even by VCs, they're lobbying the government to see if they can you know, shake up a little bit of seed funding because because VCs are seeing that the pipeline is drying up down the track for them yes. in Ireland. Yeah, absolutely. That's where mm. we're at. Yeah. It's October, right, 2018. I yeah. mean, I think it's gotten worse as the year has mm -hmm. gone on, but it's been a very dry yes. seed market in mm. Ireland all year. And in fact, last year and the year before too, mm. but it's gotten worse. Yeah. But so to finish on a positive note, draw us the picture of where you guys would love to be and will be, no doubt, two or three years down the road. You know, ultimately what we need is funding. So if we get our two million on a two year runway, we'll be at market with that. So in two years, for argument's sake tomorrow, if we got our funding, we'd be at market in two years. We've already started to develop these relationships with, with carriers and with device manufacturers. And these relationships have really taken us by surprise. We've been told, start the relationships now, 
it'll take a couple of years to get to fruition, but we're already at a point where they're asking us, how soon can you have a product ready for us to integrate into our into our system? So, you know, we're, we're in a bit of a hurry to get this funding through because we've got the customers there. We just need the funding to get to the product. Well, really good luck with that, Rena, and you're the woman to make it happen. I'm dying to see Thank what you happens very much. next. You're very kind. <laughs> good luck. Thank you.